Welcome to Five Dubs by MDDC Press. I'm your host, Rebecca Snyder, the Executive Director of the Maryland, Delaware, and DC Press Association, which represents news media in our region. Five Dubs focuses on the who, what, when, where, and why of local news media. We'll talk with the journalists about the stories behind the news. You can find more information about our guests in the show notes or on our website, www.5-dubs.com. All right, welcome. I'm in the fabulous Baltimore Sun podcast studio with reporters Kevin Rector and Talia Richman. We're talking about their investigative work on police accountability in Baltimore over the past year. This work has been nominated for MDDC's prestigious James S. Keat FOIA Award. The Keat FOIA Award honors a body of work reported primarily through open records. The Keat Award, among many others, will be presented at MDDC's annual conference in May in Annapolis, Maryland. So let's get started. Kevin and Talia, police are getting a lot of attention these days. Can you talk to us a little bit about the work that you did last year? Well, we did a lot of stories about corruption within the Baltimore Police Department. Mm -hmm. They've run into a lot of issues with officers doing the wrong thing and breaking the law, essentially. So we have tried to capture that in a way that shows our readers exactly the types of uh, misconduct that are occurring and how the officers were able to function that way without being caught in the act sooner than they were, which is a big issue in Baltimore. And there is also just accountability to be had in terms of the police department as an institution. Um, Everyone in Baltimore wants to see a decline in homicides and other violent crime. It's the major talking point um, whenever people talk about Baltimore and its future. Uh, It's a major talking point in the current mayoral race, um, which Tally has done a lot of work on. So People want to know why things aren't getting better, and the police department are always at the center of that conversation. And so when there are problems in the police department, people want to understand them, and they want to understand how they were able to evolve within the department and what's being done to stop it. And so I think a lot of our stories did that for our readers. We did a bunch of work around the Gun Trace Task Force. I know my my colleague Justin Fenton did a lot of work in that regard, and then you know various other unfortunate realities that cropped up within the police department we covered as well. So when you are looking at at a big topic like police and how people are being policed, how do you start that kind of reporting? I mean, you can't just jump in and say, I'm going to write about the police today. So when you guys are doing investigative work, like how does it start and what goes into it? Um, Well, with the police department, oftentimes it'll start with a tip from a source, um, whether that's someone within the police department or someone who encountered uh, a police officer and didn't really like how that interaction went. It can also begin with authorities, whether local prosecutors or federal prosecutors, bringing charges against someone in the police department, which sort of illuminates an issue that then we can go down a bunch of rabbit holes trying to further illuminate. And sometimes it begins with 
a good idea from a reporter as to what may be an issue. And that often starts with a Maryland Public Information Act request for certain Mm -hmm. documentation. That can be emails from police officials or reports or other documents that the department has produced, data that the department has. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you get that documentation and you sift through it, suddenly there's a story staring you in the face. Maybe that you were looking for, but maybe sometimes that you had no idea existed until you got the documentation. So I think that the PIA is a big tool, not only just for police accountability and investigations, but also for accountability across government. Sure. And so let's take a step back since we are taping this like on the eve of Sunshine Week. So Sunshine Week is a national celebration of open records um, and the public's right to know. Uh, Celebrated the 16th through the 21st of March this year. So uh, Talia, could you kind of break down for listeners what goes into the PIA or on a national level, the FOIA, and kind of break down how you might use it as a reporter? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Maryland, luckily, you can use the PIA to get a whole host of documents from public officials. Today I sent two. Uh, We are also in the middle of a a huge public health crisis with the coronavirus. So I reached out to the city and I asked, give me the plans that you have in place. I was told I could not get them. So I put in a Public Information Act request because I believe the law is on my side here and that they should have to share their response plans. And I don't really see a reason they should not. So wait and see if we get those back. (laughs) We also found out yesterday that the city's director of emergency management has been placed on leave in the middle of placed on leave i thought it was a leave of absence Uh, i'm just i'm sorry i was just that's that's actually a good uh distinction and hopefully this pia put in uh requesting all emails concerning this public official will give us more clarity that just asking people for comment doesn't always generate people can always fall back on no comment we're not saying anything but luckily The law is on our side in a lot of cases, and if they won't give us the answers, we can use the MPIA to find a way to get those answers anyway. Sure. So like when you're crafting that investigative work, it sounds like you're really you're you're talking to people, you're kind of double checking sources, but then you're also weaving in these public records. And is it anything that you can ask for or are there certain limitations in the PIA? There are limitations, for instance, Many records within the police department that are considered personnel records are exempt from disclosure under the PIA, which is a big sticking point for police reform advocates uh, who think that that stipulation within the law provides some cover for some bad actors to remain within the police departments in the state. So there are limitations, but to a broad degree, the PIA applies to any documents that the government has in its possession. And so... You can get emails, like I said. You can get reports that they have on file. You can get data sets, uh, spreadsheets. And part of crafting a good PIA request is crafting it in such a way that they uh, can't sort of wiggle their way out of giving you what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. If you provide too much specificity in your request or too little specificity in your request, the attorneys for these various jurisdictions who are always involved in responding to our PIA requests can um, get a little clever 
and read your wording to mean that they need to produce one document but not another. Mm -hmm. And so part of crafting the request is making sure that your language is inclusive of everything you're looking for but isn't so broad that the responding agency can say it is going to take them forever to produce or uh, it's going to cost you a whole bunch of money for them to produce it. You get two hours of government work to fulfill a PIA request for free, and then they can start charging. A lot of agencies within Maryland will waive those fees for reporters. Mm -hmm. They're more inclined to do so if your request is uh, reasonable in their minds. So you don't want to go crazy. You don't want to ask for a whole slew of documentations just to go fishing. But uh, like I said, oftentimes, if you ask for certain documents and you get a, a response back, there are things in there that you may not have actually asked for with any specificity, but can be the biggest story in, in the hall. So, so it's, it, it, it's an incredibly useful tool. It provides the ammo for us to go back to officials who would otherwise be trying to give us a no comment to say, no, hold on, wait a, wait a minute, you can't no comment. This document right here says in black and white, X, Y, and Z, what do you have to say about that? Mm-hmm. Whereas without the document, you kind of lack the ability to mandate that they respond to something with some specificity. If you don't know what you're asking about, it's harder to ask good pointed questions that they can have less abilities sort of dodge. Yeah. And two things that that you mentioned just struck home with me. One, there's a piece of legislation going through the legislature right now, if they don't recess, um, uh, that would reclassify those police misconduct records to be allowable under the PIA. And so that's something that the Press Association has been really supportive of. And I think you, uh, Kevin, have, have had situations where that probably would have been really helpful if you could get at those police misconduct records. Do you want to talk a little bit about how, you know, if if a law like that had been in place, how you might have been able to, you know, break something open earlier? Because I think we all look at at what's going on police-wise and think, why didn't we know about that sooner? Like, why wasn't somebody doing something about that? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the case that some of the officers who were on the Gun Trace Task Force, which was um, a group of detectives who were federally charged with basically running a gang, selling drugs, planting evidence, withholding other evidence, stealing overtime, et cetera, et cetera. But it was the case that some of those officers had rec- uh, had internal records of some misconduct in the past. It's always beneficial, I think, to the public to know what sorts of problems individual officers have run into in the past, because time and time again, it's been shown that the government fails to raise flags when problem officers start to develop a track record. Some of the officers on GTTF had track records for some behavior that the average resident would not want in their police officers. Government doesn't do a good job of tracking that and uh, raising red flags when officers have records like that. They say they're trying to do a better job, but they don't have much goodwill, a reservoir of goodwill to draw on in terms of holding their officers accountable. So we want to be sort of an independent set of eyes and ears to help the government hold the police accountable, to hold the government itself accountable. Mm -hmm. And the law that allows them to withhold a whole bunch of documents that might shine light on the track records of these officers doesn't help us do that. So, you know, were police personnel records to be available to us, I think 
it would provide us with a whole nother set of data, uh, of information that we could then compare and contrast with information we're hearing on the street and with information we're getting from prosecutors um, about individual officers, but also teams of officers and things like that. It's also not just an issue for us. Sometimes it's an issue for the defense bar Mm -hmm. when a problem officer is being put on the stand as a potential witness for testifying against a criminal defendant. Under the law, the defense attorney for that criminal defendant should have access to any information that the government has that would uh, undermine the credibility of the officer who's then testifying. Um, but sure. Those GTTF officers had, you know, hundreds of convictions vacated that they were involved in. Yeah. And, and so defense attorneys in the in the city have complained about prosecutors not giving them enough information about the internal affairs records of officers who are then put on the stand later. And so just broader public access to some of these records, I think, would serve them well as well. Sure. And one thing I did want to just note for our listeners, Kevin and Talia have a really deep professional understanding of the PIA, but PIA requests can be made by anyone. This is the Public Information Act. So any citizen has the right to request information on behalf of their government. So Talia, I wanted to check in with you because also going through the legislature are some changes to the PIA, and it has to do more with dispute resolution. So right now, there's the Public Information Act Compliance Board, and they can hear disputes only on fees of $350 or more. But I wanted to better understand from a a real sort of practical working perspective what happens when you disagree with a public body? You mentioned earlier that, you know, I think the law is on my side and so-and-so should give me these records. What happens when they, when they just say, well, we think the law is on our side. We're not going to do it. What happens? So there's an um, ombudsman that you can contact in Maryland to talk through the law. She's supposed to be a neutral party, so she can hear what the agency responded, she can hear your side, and then try and broker an understanding. Uh, sometimes the agency does have a have ground to stand on and maybe not releasing the entire record, but mm-hmm. you can ask for redactions, you can ask to limit your scope. So there are ways to go back and forth and maybe not get the in- totality of what you're asking for, but at least get some of it. You can also uh, appeal and you can write, uh, do your own research and find other legal cases and precedent of similar documents that have been released to reporters before and kind of put on a, a law hat and try and argue through an appeal to get those records released. Okay, so it sounds like you have a a couple angles to try and dislodge that information if you think that's there. But it doesn't sound like anyone's out there saying, no, you know, public records custodian who has this piece that you have to give it to a reporter. There's no way, aside from the courts, I would imagine, that you can do that. The courts can do it. Um, You can sue for the information, essentially. Mm -hmm. but in today's modern media landscape, we all have fewer resources to do the critical work we do. And so the likelihood that we're going to spend a lot of money to fight a battle over certain documents, you know, may have gone down in recent years. Our leadership here at The Sun is still committed to getting documents. And, you know, we could sue for documents. But as as the reporters, we try to do everything we can to get around lengthy, expensive court battles over documents because 
Well, you don't have the time. Right. I mean, the timeliness of the news cycle. Right. We want the documents as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. They're already dragging their feet. Court fights over documents would often drag beyond the timeliness window of any given news story. So oftentimes we're trying to do what we can to get to an understanding sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it never works. Sometimes it takes some creativity. Like I said, sometimes it you, you just need to file another PIA with different language or go through a different agency that might also have the documents that one agency has been denying you. Um, so there are ways you can be creative in terms of seeking documentation. But ultimately, you know, if the if the pending legislation doesn't pass, that would empower the panel to make binding decisions. Ultimately, it's just the courts who can force the hand of an, any given agency. Right. And I, I think a lot of times your everyday citizens are never going to go to the court to compel a custodian to to turn over a document. And so it's it's certainly a necessary revision, and, and there's a lot of people working on that. You guys both talked a little bit about kind of the challenges and frustrations of doing investigative work. Can each of you talk about a time where you felt challenged or you felt like the, the investigation just wasn't going anywhere, but you knew something was happening? And what did you do to, to dislodge? Uh, I have been <laughs> waging like a five-year battle to get video from the MTA from Mundaman on the day of the unrest and eventual riot that night in April of 2015 after the death of Freddie Gray, and they won't give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I... I have been filing PIAs and, like I said, changing my language and filing them in different ways. And and, uh, this past year, for the first time, got readouts of what the footage from the cameras that I wanted, what the footage showed. So it wasn't the footage itself, but it was readouts of what it showed and a timeline and a description from an MTA police official as to what was going on throughout a critical period of time when, when things really ramped up. And I think it shined new light on how that whole series of events escalated into what it what it escalated into, which was pretty uh, serious conflict between people on the street and police officers in riot gear. And just to back up for listeners, you know, I think and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it, it felt like the Mondaman footage really was footage of the the events that kind of crystallized and started that riot that you had a lot of, of people kind of penned in one place with nowhere to go and your inability to receive that footage to kind of colors everyone's perception of how the unrest actually unfolded is that accurate yeah i mean there there are a lot of different perceptions in the community and among police about how the tensions began and escalated how the police were staging in that area whether or not their staging actually exacerbated the problem, raised the tensions rather than de-escalating the situation, who was to blame for the tensions rising, how groups of young people ended up moving through that portion of the city, and and what police were doing to, to mitigate it. And so... I've always contended that the footage is held by a public agency. It should be made public. They've contended that releasing it would reveal too much about their surveillance capabilities there. I think that is preposterous. Even years later, it's going to reveal. <laughs> yeah, too I much? mean, I, a bunch of the cameras are in plain view. They've 
put forward a whole bunch of different arguments. It's going to facilitate terrorism. It's going to reveal our the ways in which our cameras can sort of pan and zoom. You know, I, I don't really buy it. A bunch mm. of the cameras are in plain view. People know where they are if they just walk down the street. So I don't know why they're maintaining this position, but it is the p- position they've maintained. I was just happy this past year that the PIA helped me get at least one step closer to what was going on on that day, which was a critical day in the history of Maryland in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like persistence is really sort of the name yeah. of the game for you <laughs> on public records. And when you have challenges, you just kind of push on through. Yeah. Talia, how do you how do you do you just go home yeah. and say, I'm giving up? <laughs> I'm done. What do you do? Uh, so I, I know you're talking to our colleague, Luke Broadwater, about his work in uncovering the Healthy Holly scandal. But the PIA was helpful for us there as well, because at first the former mayor, Catherine Pugh, was telling us, this only this one agency, or it's only this one business, the University of Maryland Medical System bought my books for $100,000 in order. But when we got emails from City Hall, we could tell that even right in the beginning, other uh, businesses were emailing City Hall and being like, wait, why is she saying only ums bought the books? We've bought the books. We've bought the books. We've bought the books. And so there was knowledge within City Hall that she was lying when making those statements. So it definitely the, can help you uncover mistruths and lies in a creative way when you can see people in their own words saying something differently behind closed doors than they say to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I wanted to better understand, you know, how you got into the investigative side. It feels like journalism just on the regular is always about some sort of investigation. But tell me what kind of excites you about the investigative part of journalism. I've always been nosy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, when you can, like like Tali said, you know, there is a truth out there behind every story, and sometimes the public officials we interact with are willing to tell it to you, and sometimes they're not. And the investigative side of things, I think, gets closer to the truth so that the public is aware of what's really going on. Again, public officials can say one thing to your face and be writing something very different in an email behind your back to one of their colleagues or to another official. And so having the ability to dig down, whether it's through the PIA or through sourcing or through just dogged determination and repeatedly asking questions over and over again to get closer to the truth, I mean, it's, it's rewarding. And, and oftentimes, the things that people are most willing to lie about or to veil the truth about are the things that are most important to society. To sure, they're affecting, like it affects all of Baltimore if we can't trust the policing that's happening in that area. Right, or if your mayor is collecting a bunch of money for books that she's then reselling and reselling to agencies with business before the city, right? Like the things like that matter, and it takes investigative reporting to ferret it out so that the public is aware of what's going on. And so it's... Uh, it's rewarding, and it and, and oftentimes it's a puzzle too. It's sort of fun putting the pieces together and finding things out that no one else knows. So it's it's rewarding. Yeah. Tell yeah. me, what about you? Do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, uh, I think my first experience with the MPIA. I was actually in college. I was working at the University of Maryland student newspaper, The Diamondback. We bought. We got a whole bunch of uh, emails back that we'd asked from the Board of Regents to have their discussions about um, a policy change that they had made quickly, and we wanted to understand it better. And I remember there was one in there that was like, 
this Diamondback reporter, Talia Richmond, keeps calling and asking questions. Like, what do we do? And I was like, yeah, that, that is what we're doing because, you know, we have a special right uh, as journalists to keep asking questions on behalf of people affected by the decisions being made by people in power. And I just feel really lucky to have that role and that responsibility. And so I want to make sure we're, we're using it to the best of our ability. Terrific. So as we wind down, just wanted to check in with you about where listeners can find your work. I know you're both reporters for the Baltimore Sun at baltimoresun.com. But what, um, how else can people follow you and find out about your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Tali Richmond. Yeah, uh, my Twitter handle is at Rectorson. Okay, great. And is there any, any closing words or last thoughts that you want people to know about journalism or investigative work or anything on your mind? It's not fake news. (laughs) We are dedicated professionals. We care about the truth. We care about providing information that's useful to our readers. We care about being fair, and we care about getting our facts straight. I, I, I sometimes wish more people could come into the newsroom and watch us work because we are doggedly determined to get things right, to tell the truth, to be fair. We go over and over our stories to make sure of all of that. And I think it shows in our work. So hopefully people subscribe and support local journalism. It matters. If local journalism goes away, we'd all be far worse off. So support your local newspaper. Great. Thank you. I think Kevin said it all. Uh, I'll just add, uh, wash your hands. (laughs) (laughs) True words. Okay. Well, thank you guys both so much. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Five Dubs with Rebecca Snyder. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts so that others can find us. What do you want to know about local journalism? Email me at rsnyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, at mddcpress.com. Interested in supporting our podcast and journalism? Please donate to our 501c3 Press Foundation. Find out more and see the full episode list and show notes at www.5-dubs.com.